Welcome to the June 21st sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51, and the sermon is entitled, The Magnificent Son of Man, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. Turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, where we are. We are taking another step forward in our study through the entirety of the Gospel of John. How long will this Uh, How long will this sermon series take? I really don't know. Uh, It's going to be a while, and the reason I say that is because there are 21 chapters in the Gospel of John, and I'm getting out of the first chapter today seven sermons in the first chapter. I think it's going to pick up speed a little bit because I took my time through the prologue at the beginning, but uh, it's going to be a good sermon series through the Gospel of John. This is such a deep biography of the Lord Jesus Christ, it serves as a wonderful introduction uh, to the Savior. My prayer, my goal for this sermon series is that we can box it up and that you can give people that invitation to Jesus Christ through the gospel of John and hearing about how the gospel is developed through John's writing, inspired by our God, inerrant, holy, without error, as we see the life of Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to conclude with the first chapter, uh, and we're going to look at John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. So you might want to have that open on your lap. That is our text for the day. Let me pull us all together in this study for the day. I want you to look at the first three words of John chapter 1, verse 43. It says, the day following. So we have a time frame here. We're talking about a succession of days, so we're looking at the day following. Depending on your translation, you might have a translation that says the following day or the next day. Uh, what, the next day from what? What's the time frame here as we drop into this study? Well, it's a timetable of four days in the life and the ministry of John the Baptist. Do you remember that John the Gospel writer introduces us to the man who is the forerunner of Jesus, his cousin, uh, who is a, a preacher in the wilderness, who is a preacher of repentance? His name is John the Baptist. We're looking at four days in the life of John the Baptist. Uh, look back at John chapter 1, verse 19. Here's the first day. John chapter 1, verse 19. And this is the record of John, meaning John the Baptist, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who art thou? The first day of these four days, we have a little troop, a group, a committee of Jews who were high-powered in the faith, and they were asking John the Baptist who he is. They saw him and heard him as he was a preacher in the wilderness. They knew that he was a, a baptizer by water. Who are you? And John begins by saying, let me tell you who I'm not. I am not the Christ. I am not the Savior. I'm not the one who can give forgiveness of sin. I am a voice in the wilderness crying out. He doesn't even name himself. He calls himself a voice, a witness, a representative of God. But the Savior was going to come. So on day one, John defines who he is. He is not the Christ. The next day, day two, begins with John chapter 1, verse 29. As John the Baptist sees Jesus coming toward him, he makes this phenomenal statement to those who are standing with him, and that he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Now, I remind you, for those of you who weren't with us a couple sermons ago, if you think back to Abraham and Isaac, when God calls Abraham to sacrifice his only son Isaac, they're going up the mountain, and Isaac says, Father, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And 
A lamb was not given that day. A ram was given caught in a thicket. And so that question goes unanswered for centuries, and John answers the question right here. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. That's in day two. The next day, day three of John the Baptist's ministry, he identifies Jesus as the Lamb with two of his followers, Andrew, and although the other one is not named, I know it is John, the writer of this gospel. John is very humble about naming himself in his own writing. A lot of the times he'll call himself the man whom Jesus loved, the the disciple Jesus loved, the one who laid his head on Jesus' chest. So he doesn't identify himself by his name, but rather by a title of the one whom Jesus loved. I believe it was Andrew and John, and these two men peel away from John the Baptist. They begin following Jesus. Jesus turns, and the outcome of that meeting is they go to where he is dwelling, and they spend most of the afternoon with the Savior getting to know him, getting introduced to him. Okay, now for today's study, now we come to day four. We come to John 1, 43. This is the fourth day of John the Baptist's ministry. Let's hear what happens on day four. Go with me. John 1, start with verse 43. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, follow me. Now, Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. And Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. God had his blessing to the reading of this portion of his word as we come to the final words of chapter 1. Now, in this particular day, day four of John's ministry, Jesus goes to the region of Galilee, mostly inhabited by his own family, which, of course, is the Jewish family, the Jewish people, the Israelites. And he comes to a man named Philip, and he simply says to Philip, follow me, two words, follow me. He was calling him to be one of the 12 disciples. And Scripture tells us that Philip grew up in the same hometown that Peter and Andrew came from, the little fishing town on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee called Bethsaida, not a very small village, not a very big village at all. And most likely, if Philip was like most of the townspeople in Bethsaida, he was a fisherman. It doesn't tell us that, but probably that was his profession because of the town he lived in. But from these verses, we can see that upon meeting Jesus... Philip immediately recognizes him as the Savior. 
And he easily and readily and in one moment's decision steps into the role as a disciple of Jesus the Christ. There was no struggle. There was no question. There was no hesitation. He didn't say, okay, Lord, you've called me, follow me. Let me go home and think about this for a few days. Let me pray over this. Let me get with a committee, make a decision. Philip did not do that. He instantaneously said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. Yes, I will be your disciple. He steps out to follow Christ in sheer faith. Well, as I read that passage, and I've read it over and over this week, I think about this reaction to Jesus, and I think about the many, many children who have come to the Lord Jesus Christ in these three-plus decades of time. So many children who have come to Jesus, and I've baptized them, and I've led them there uh, into that decision about their faith in Christ and their baptism in the family of God. And I talk to children, always talking to them about what it means to accept Christ. Do you understand you're a sinner? Do you understand the meaning of sin? Do you understand you need to be forgiven? Do you know the Bible's verses? And so we'll go through all the verses, and I talk to them, I pray with them. And most of the time when I ask, do you have any questions? When I ask a child who's been through the plan of salvation, making a decision for Christ, I'll say, do you have any questions? 99% of the the time, that child will say, I don't have any questions. Let's get on with this baptism thing. I'm ready. I want Jesus. I need Jesus. I have accepted him. Let me be baptized. They come to Jesus so naturally, so easily, so readily. It's amazing the way a child comes to Christ. Sometimes we adults overthink things. And we have to pray over things and, and just worry about things and have anxiety over things. But a child just comes to the decision and says, let's get on with it. I'm ready. So Philip reminds me of that kind of a child's decision. No struggle, no question. He simply says, follow me. And Philip says, here I am. Lord, I will follow you. So when Philip is on board with Jesus as a disciple. What's his first act? I think you know, as we've seen this as being the first act of Andrew and John, I believe, as well. Look at verse 45. Philip's first act as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verse 45. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Philip, who immediately comes to Jesus and immediately follows him, goes and finds his friend Nathanael. Now, this is interesting. I want you to hear this. Nathanael and Bartholomew in your Bibles are probably the same person. In fact, I'm almost certain they're the same person. Nathanael and Bartholomew are the same guy. If you look at lists of the disciples, you will find Bartholomew. You won't find Nathanael. The reason for that is Nathanael is his given name. That is the name by which his parents named him. Bartholomew is a title. Bar, whenever you see bar in the New Testament, that means son of, like Simon bar Jonah. Simon, son of Jonah. So Bartholomew means son of Ptolemaeus. 
So that's a title, but Nathaniel is his given name. Bartholomew is who he comes from, but it's the same person. I think that's so interesting. But Philip says to Nathaniel, we have found the one. We have found the one that the Old Testament prophets have written about. There's only one. The prophets only prophesied about one life, one person, one Messiah, one Savior. We have found him. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. He grew up in the household of Joseph. Now, most likely people knew one another in that general vicinity. Perhaps Nathaniel knew that Joseph was nothing more than a carpenter in the city of Nazareth. But Philip says to Nathaniel, come with me and meet this Jesus of Nazareth. Now, while Philip just came to Jesus in simple, immediate faith, old Nathaniel's quite different. He automatically asks a question of doubt. Now, it's not a bad question. It's not a sinful question. He's just trying to logically get it in his head. Is this really the Savior? So he asks a question that really does seem to cast a little doubt on the situation. But what Nathaniel says is, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I was kind of wondering if the pulpit committee was going to ask that when they were talking to me. Can anything good come out of Stanton, Virginia? But we look at Nathaniel, and he asks this question. Really, consider the, the Nazareth. It's just this little, tiny, backwater town. No one familiar, no one, uh, ex- no one who is exceptional came out of Nazareth. Really, can anyone really good come out of the city of Nazareth? Can an important person come out of that little hick town? Nazareth was so insignificant, but Philip said, Well, look, Nathaniel, you just have to come and see for yourself. I'm not going to try to convince you. You let Jesus be the one who convinces you. You come and see. You meet him, and you will come to the same conclusion that I came to. I can't convince you. I want you to meet him and judge for yourself. So with this little shadow of doubt in the back of his mind, Nathaniel goes. Now look at John 147. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him. And said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. So when we first meet Nathaniel in this passage, he has this honest question. Can a good Savior come from a little hick town of Nazareth? And as he approaches Jesus, the Lord said, Here comes a fellow Jew in whom there is no guile. There is no deceit in your heart. That's why I'm saying that this was an honest question. It wasn't a question of anger. It was just this honest question, can a Savior really come out of Nazareth? And Jesus identifies him as a man who is very honest, a man who is very forthright, a man who will ask an honest question, but there is no deceit, there is no guile in him. Jesus pinpoints him as a good man. Now, from our study in Genesis, if you think back to my sermon series in Genesis, there was a man in Genesis who was a man of deceit, a man of guile. You remember his name? Well, his name was Jacob, and God later renames him Israel. It's in chapter 32 that we see that renaming of Jacob into Israel. But if you remember, Jacob started his life as a great deceiver. He was so deceptive, he was so centered on his own goals that he literally stole the birthright of his brother Esau from him with a bowl of stew of all things. 
But Jacob was a deceiver. Jacob was dishonest. Jacob was a trickster. And he's called in Genesis a man of guile, deceit. And so when Jesus says to Nathanael, I'm looking at you and you're a man with no guile, Nathanael knew his Bible, I'm sure, and he thought immediately about Jacob. So Jesus looks at Nathanael and he says, you, sir, are the opposite of Jacob. I don't find deceit in you. I don't find dishonesty in you. And that summation of his character surprises Nathaniel. This is their first meeting. How could you know this about me? How could you know that I'm a man of honesty and trust? We've never met before. And in John chapter 1, verse 48, Jesus says, Oh, I know you. I know you very well. Long before you came to see me, I knew you. By the way, friends, that's true for every one of us. No matter who you are, where you're from, or what you're doing right now, he knows you and me. He knows us through and through. Psalm 139 says he knows even before a word gets to our tongue, before we speak it, he knows the word. He knows the number of hairs on our head. Some of you are very easy to count. But he knows all about us. He knows us through and through. That's absolutely the truth. So with Nathaniel, he said, I knew you. In fact, I saw you standing under the fig tree. And the light comes on for Nathaniel. This man knows all about me. That's what brings him to Jesus. This man knows all about me. There's somebody else in the Gospel of John who said that very thing. You know who it was? The woman at the well, John chapter 4. He knew all about me. He knew everything about my life. That's exactly what Nathaniel is saying here too. But Nathaniel realizes Philip is exactly right. This is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. I am seeing the very Son of God standing before me, the Savior, the King of Israel. Now, I want you to look at John chapter 1, verse 50. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. So Jesus tells Nathanael, You came to recognize me as the Savior and the Lord because I foreknew that you were standing under a fig tree. You believe me because I know your past. I know who you are. But Nathaniel, I want you to know that was a minor miracle. (laughs) That was just a little thing that I saw you under the fig tree that I know you through and through. That's a minor miracle. And Jesus says, you believe me because I proved I knew your past. But Nathaniel, you stay with me. Because when you walk with me, you're going to see much greater things than that. You're going to be amazed when you see the power of God through me. Walk with me. What you've seen so far is very minor to what you're going to see through me as we minister together. Now look at John 1, 51, the last verse of chapter 1. And he said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. You need to put a star by that verse. I'll tell you why in just a minute. Underline that verse if you write in your Bible. That's a very important verse. Jesus continues talking to Nathanael about his future ministry. And he says, verily, verily. By the way, in King James language, anytime you see verily, verily, you put a red flag by those two words. 
Because what Jesus is saying there is, what I'm going to say after this is extremely important. Don't miss it. Whenever you see Jesus saying, verily, verily, put a star by that verse because it's a very, very important verse. Now, in Hebrew, the actual translated word here is amen. Amen and amen. I'm going to tell you something very important. And Jesus tells Nathaniel, as you follow me in days ahead, you are going to see heaven open. Jesus is implying that as a disciple, Nathaniel is going to see some absolute miracles that can only come by the power and the authority of God Almighty. In days ahead, Nathaniel was going to see multitudes sitting, hanging on every word spoken by this Son of God. In a future day, Nathaniel would be there to see 5,000 people fed off of just a little scrap of food. In days ahead, Nathaniel would see the Sea of Galilee move from a great tempest and waves coming into the boat. When Jesus says, quiet, be still, that Sea of Galilee gets like a tabletop by the miracle of God. In days ahead, Nathaniel was going to see a blind man who would leave the presence of Jesus seeing. In days ahead, Nathaniel would see people who had never walked a day in their life walking away because Jesus healed them miraculously. People would go from lost sinner to child of God in days ahead when Nathaniel would follow Jesus. So, so Jesus was saying, you hang with me, Nathaniel, because you ain't seen nothing yet. You wait, you follow me, and you're going to see heaven open. You see, Nathaniel believed in Jesus based on a minor miracle. I saw you under a fig tree, but he's saying, Nathaniel, stay with me. You're going to be amazed by the power of God in these days ahead. Now, remember earlier in this service, when Jesus saw Nathaniel, he said, here's an Israelite, there is no guile, a reference to Jacob. We're going to come back to Jacob now. I believe this passage is largely about Jacob, and here's why. There's a passage in Genesis 28 where Jacob, the old deceiver, has a dream, and he dreams that he sees a ladder, a stairway to heaven, and angels are ascending and descending that ladder. In fact, let me read you the verse. Write this verse down, Genesis 28, verse 12. This is, this is the dream. This is Jacob's dream. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. Okay, so here's the dream. Here's what Jacob sees in Genesis 28. He sees a ladder, a literal ladder with its uppermost part into the heavens, and angels are climbing up and down the ladder. It's not identified as a ladder going into the heavens. We see that very same Old Testament image here. Don't miss this in John chapter 1, verse 51. It's so important. But there's one huge revelation in it. Look at the verse again, 51. He saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending Upon the Son of God. Jesus is the ladder. Isn't that awesome? Jesus is the ladder. He is the access way to heaven. 
And so when we read Genesis 28, he's not identified in Jesus 28, but here we have in this, old, in this New Testament passage, John chapter 1, verse 51, this connection from Genesis 28 right over to the Gospel of John. There's the ladder. It is Jesus Christ himself. The angels of heaven climbing up and down, heaven to earth upon the ladder of the Son of Man. Jesus is the ladder to heaven. Boy, that's awesome. Can I hear an amen? That's an awesome amen. Jesus is the ladder. Jesus implying here, Jacob saw me. Jacob saw me 1,700 years ago but he couldn't give it a name. I want you to know that the name of the ladder is Jesus, the way to heaven. You'll also notice here that Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. This is one of Jesus' favorite titles for himself. It's used 83 times in the four Gospels. It's used 13 times in the Gospel of John. The Son of Man, that title pictures both the Son of God and the Son of Man, the deity of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus, fully God, fully man. There have been some theologians, false theologians, who've come along saying Jesus was so fully God that when he went to the cross, he felt no pain. No, no. He was fully man. He felt the spikes. He felt the thorns. He felt the pain so that we could be forgiven. That title pictures him as human as well as the deity of God. He is the fulfillment of what Daniel said. Daniel has a vision. This also in the Old Testament. Write this reference down. I hope when you write these down, you'll go back and read them sometime later. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Listen to what it says. Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. Daniel says... I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed." The Old Testament prophet Daniel in Babylon prophesying about the coming of Jesus the Christ, the one who would have dominion and control and authority for all eternity. Today, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Son of God we bow before. And I pray that my meager little words and my stumbling tongue has brought you a message that we understand that he is to be worshipped, he is to be followed, he is to be adored. We should look at him with awe and thanksgiving that he came for us. You know, I for one, I'm speaking only for myself here. You know, I see Jesus so often as my shepherd and my friend, the one who's walking with me, and I talk to him, and he returns talking to me in everyday language. You know, sometimes I, I make Jesus too little. Because what this scripture is teaching me today is he is an awesome, mighty, wonderful Savior. And we are to bow before him. 
Today, church, whether you're here in the sanctuary, you're streaming at home, or even out in the parking lot, can we just bow our heads and, if possible, fall to our knees and say, Lord Jesus, thank you that you came for me. Thank you that you are the way and the truth and the life. Thank you that you teach us that you're the door. Thank you that you teach us that you're the light. Thank you that you teach us that you're the one who gives us forgiveness for all eternity. Thank you, Lord, that you are the ladder to heaven. And I can only get to God the Father by the ladder of Jesus Christ the Son. Oh, we need to bow before him, ladies and gentlemen. We need to pray. We need to thank him. And we need to be all filled as we come before a Savior who loves us so much that he died on the cross and rose from the grave that we might have life everlasting. He is the ladder. Wow, what a, what a Savior. What verses. I pray that we'll fall before him brothers and sisters, that we will rededicate our lives to serving him, to showing him to a lost and dying world. Friends, if we've ever lived in a section of history that we see a lost and dying world walking away from God, it is right now. You, can, if you have to have your head in the sand if you don't see a lost world these days. And this world needs a savior more than it needs a good government, more than it needs political power, more than it needs weapons, more than it needs social programs. This world needs a Savior today. And my prayer is that we will represent that Savior. I will tell you this. I I listened to a, a sermon this week from Alistair Begg, the Scottishman, and one of the things that he said, and I, it stuck in my mind, he said, you know, I don't preach so much about abortion. And I don't preach so much about changing the government. And I don't preach so much about families that are in trouble. He said, I preach the gospel because the gospel will change every one of those problems. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings change. It is the salt that this world needs. And friends, you and I are needed to walk out of these doors today as servants and witnesses in this world, that we will stand true and strong and courageous for this Savior. The world needs to see the Savior, and it is largely seen through us, his people. Rededicate your life to that powerful Savior, the light, the door, the ladder of Jesus. One last thing before I close the sermon. If you are not yet a believer, whether you're here in the sanctuary listening by streaming, however you're hearing the service, if it's down the road by a podcast somewhere, if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, today you can come to him. Go back to this passage in the first chapter of John. You're either a Philip or a Nathaniel. Philip just came. No questions, no hesitation. Doesn't have to sit down and think about it. He just came. Today, you can be a Philip, and you can fully trust that Jesus Christ will meet you where you are. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You just need to come and say, Lord Jesus, change me. Come to live in my heart. Be my Savior. Let me walk with you. Let me grow to be like you. Let me worship you. Let me serve you. You be a Philip, and you just come today. Because when you step out, that first step, he meets you there. And he will become your Savior. Nathaniel, on the other hand, had his doubts and his concerns, his questions about Jesus. No matter who you are, no matter your questions or your doubts, no matter what's on your mind, listen, when you meet Jesus, really meet Jesus, 
you will know he's the real deal. There's no one like Jesus. And when you truly meet him, you will know just like Nathaniel, this is the Son of God. This is my Savior. He loves you. He went to the cross for you. He took your sin upon himself. He took my sin upon himself, and he died for us. You and me, he died for us. And he has earned the right by his authority to be your Savior, to forgive you of your sin and be your Savior for all eternity. He's the ladder, and that ladder will get you to heaven. That's the promise. And I will meet you there. All the believers here will meet you there. You've never put your heart in his hands. You come. You don't have to doubt. You don't have to question. You don't have to go and think about it for a month or two months. Today, he is worthy. He's the real deal. And he can be your savior today. He's the answer to every question. He alone is sufficient. And he is the way and the truth and the life. No man will come to the Father but by him. You come today. Church home, whatever you need. God bless us as we come before him now. Let's pray. Our Father God, thank you for these moments. Lord, thank you for these words from the first chapter of John. Philip and Nathaniel. Philip came so easily, Lord. Maybe there's a Philip in here or listening by stream today who just says, Lord, I need you. I'm coming. I'm coming right now. I just trust you. I know it's real. I'm coming. Maybe there's a Nathaniel listening today with, and maybe over the years they've studied and they've questioned how the Bible's put together or they just can't quite figure it out. They have their doubts and reasons for never coming to Jesus, never coming to church. Coming to church won't save you. Coming to Jesus saves you. Father, I pray today that that one will just put all the doubts aside and step out because when they come to Jesus, they will know he's the real deal. Just like Nathaniel found out and Jesus will say, you just you walk with me, and you will see more miracles along the way. Father, bless that one who needs you. Bless we who are believers, Lord. What a wonderful thing to see the church filling back up in these days. I know it's not meant for all of us right now. Some of us are compromised and need to be home. No criticism there. However someone chooses to worship, I understand, and I'm completely with them. But thank you for the church coming back to life, Lord, after this season. Thank you that we're together under your reign of glory and blessing. Thank you, Father, that you've taught me this week something that's so exciting to me, just to see this picture that I never saw in the Bible before, from Jacob's dream to what Jesus says to Nathaniel, that he is that ladder that Jacob saw 1,700 years before Jesus was born in a manger. That's amazing to me. Jesus is the ladder. Bless us this day, Lord. Bless believers as we rededicate our lives to serving you. This world is in a sorry shape right now. And we need so many things. But the primary, one most important thing this world needs is Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and God. Help us to represent you well this week, Lord. Help every one of us to be that open conduit that people can see the Savior. Help not one of us to be a stumbling block, but help every one of us to be your witness this week. For that one who needs you, bless him or her. They can step out and come. Church home, whatever the need, whatever the healing, bless us this moment in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.